nature's horrific wild and terror today's video is nasty it's a woman basically taking a live snake putting it all the way into her mouth yep. um all right let's go on and see who's here so new jersey we've gotten so far i guess with the cultural uh, it's the presence of the uh, Muslims and Arabs that they now sell Balawa, Costco. Costco is all over the world, a country, right? Everyone has Costco. Costco is now selling Balawa. How weird is that? We gave it out yesterday at the soup kitchen and I just nabbed one or two. Because you know people who are involved in the um, charity, they're able to take a bite or two. And you see... Eat this. This is like uh, Egyptian slash shami slash Turkish style of balawa. And we'll eat it while we wait. Now it's American style, international. Cinnamon? My mom used to put cinnamon, so I guess it's Egyptian. So. Eat that while we wait. Costco's is good. Costco's um, Betlawas, that's like a game changer. It feels wrong, right? Because certain things have always been just like our own thing, but fine. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The Zog says, Dr. Shetty, my mom made this Betlawa at home and put it in the Costco box. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hold on a second. I got <laughs> That is too funny. That is too funny. No way. Because uh, uh, I, I, get, I get in. I go downstairs to make my, my, my tea so that I have something. And I see a Costco box. <laughs> oh, man. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. That's so funny. That's what I'm saying. Like, how did Costco get so good? That was my first thought, and then I remembered, wait a minute. It's definitely Egyptian. Oh, it's definitely. And I was right about the cinnamon, right? Definitely Egyptian. Okay, definitely Egyptian. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about Sheikh Nizamuddin Awliya, part three, okay? Part three, the twilight years, all right? Nizamuddin Awliya, part three, the twilight years. And we're going to read about how these Awliya, they spend their time. And before we finish, there's one more incident that we're going to cover. There is one more incident, okay, uh, that happens in his life where he was attacked okay he was attacked this time by the fuqaha last time we talked he was attacked by the, the, the this king who didn't want him around okay this king who didn't who didn't like him all right okay so before we begin we'll take a look at uh our um Sponsors, and let's take a look again at Mecca Books and their their um, their book, the Exemplars. 
These are the books. Each one of these. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and I think nine. Nine uh, biographies. This is Sayyid Omar. He's East African. That's Habib Ahmad al-Haddad. Who else we have? That's Fatima al-Yasrutiya. Okay. And that's pictures of Morocco, uh, one of the, uh, what they call Zawiya, which is basically... When a sheikh, he wants to, quote-unquote, run an operation, as we would say in our street language today, run an operation, um, he has a zawiyah, he has a building. And in that building, the sheikh is basically the king of that building. And that building, that sheikh, it has to, a couple things have to happen there. Number one, the sheikh himself, he's the qutb of that operation, namely that he needs to, uh, to live the deen himself, because if he's upright, the whole thing will be upright. And then it has to be managed properly. And what they do is they feed ibadah Okay, and they do a lot of ibadah and dhikrullah. Okay, next picture. This is one of the first shiuch, if I'm not mistaken, because I read certain biographies. Michael Sujik writes this biography. He's one of the first shiuch, I'm assuming this is his picture, who brought Islam to England. And when they built a mosque, they had some shabab, huffad, reciting the Qur'an every single moment that the construction was taking place. So they basically had like from, what? Because Sakina, Nasr is by Sakina. We gain victory by Sakina. Sakina is not just uh, uh, just a feel good. You get victory. You get barakah. Entire time of construction, someone was reciting Qur'an uh, and as Surah Al-Baqarah tells us how Sayyidina Dawood and Talut, how did they defeat Goliath? By ibadah and dhikr. Bittabut, fihi sakina. Next. Okay. Then that's again Habib Ahmad Mashhur al-Hajjad. Next. Murabit al-Hajj. And that's all of them. So get your book at Mecca Books. All right, Hamza Hussein, he's watching in the Costco parking lot. Unfortunately, we were sort of, um, I was duped. Not duped, but it was funny because they put the Ba'lawa in the Costco box. And I'm sitting here thinking that, uh, uh, oops, our credits just rolled. I'm sitting sitting here thinking that uh, um, Costco now makes Ba'lawa. So... Next thing is professors one-to-one is where you want to get your, uh, your tutoring, okay? If you need tutoring over the summer for anything. And next is patreon.com backslash Safina Society is how you're going to help us. Uh, or, or, yeah, I guess it is helping us. You're going to support us. You, you can't operate a big program like this. Now we have credits. We got microphones and everything. It's not going to be a one-man operation. It's going to be a group and, and the group has to be international. And you all, we now have a lot of people. And we're going to update the credits, inshallah, every weekend. We should update, or every few days, update the credits. You'll see who is supporting from abroad or from outside the area. Now let's turn to our topic. Nizamuddin Awliya, part three, the twilight years. When Nizamuddin and Awliya became extremely powerful politically, and he did. He became powerful politically not by his own actions. Okay, 
It was not by his own actions. In a sense that, not by his own seeking, I should say. He wasn't seeking it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him victory over his enemies in such a way that everyone got to see it and nobody doubted it, him anymore. His rank with Allah ta'ala anymore. So when that one king, whose name I, we mentioned last week, one of these sultans and everyone, ta- uh, uh, one of these, uh, Jalal al-Din Khilji, okay, no, sorry, Sultan Ala al-Din Khilji. Ala al-Din Khilji is the Sultan that be, he was a fool. And there's a good saying by uh, a really wise businessman. And you know these businessmen? You can learn a lot from them in the dunya, regarding the dunya. Because business is a type of war. Right? A veteran a politician, a veteran businessman, you can learn a lot from them. Hayat al-Dunya, the knowledge of Hayat al-Dunya. Um, he said, basically, make sure your company is very simple. This is, uh, I always forget his name, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. He says, make your company and your business, it has to be simple enough for an idiot to rule, uh, to govern, to run it. Why? Because one day an idiot will. One day there will be a fool and an idiot running your company. It's inevitable that it's going to happen, Right? This is why tech companies never succeed in, a, in any, in a long-term way as innovators. They succeed in making money, but as innovation, no. Why? Because if you're an innovative genius, why would you work for someone else? You make your own company. If you're an innovative genius and a business leader, that's a double reason why never to work for anybody else. You'd open up your own company. So a guy like Elon Musk can't work for Apple or Mike, Steve Jobs could not have worked for Hewlett-Packard or IBM. Bill Gates could not have worked for IBM. So if you're a creative genius and a business leader, you're going to work on your own, with your own company. And so that's the idea, is that you have to keep things simple. All right? Warren Buffett said this, because someday an idiot will rule. And here we are in, in the lifetime of Nizamuddin Awliya. He lived through about four or five sultans, and the sixth one, fifth or sixth one, turns out to be a fool. And he challenges Nizamuddin Awliya's authority. He fights them. He fights him. How? By demanding all the shiuch to come to his presence, like every Thursday night or something. Okay. Nizamuddin sends his assistant. He has a policy. He does not go. In the, he does not enter the same room as a governor. Whether the governor comes, he leaves. And he never goes to the governor. Why? To avoid being accused of being like a puppet for the governor or a supporter of the governor. Why? What happens when the governor does something wrong? Now it's going to be on you. Just like all the shiuch that are associated with some government or other. Once that government does something wrong, either now I have to denounce them or I'm associated with them. So he never went along with any governor. This Alaeddin Khilji, they called him the second Alexander the Great because of his, his insanity. He ends up saying that if Nizamuddin does not show up next month, uh, the, sorry, the first of every month they have to appear to his court to give him uh, allegiance. If he does not show up, okay, oh, that's great, Ryan. Could you take a screenshot of that and put it on our thing? 
That's it looks like it's his uh, sayings more so than his biography, but that's okay. Good enough. Um, he says he does not show up. He's disobeying me. I'm gonna cut his neck off. Well, that's not a crime by which you're you're not allowed to do that. Right? That's not a crime. So as a sultan, he's he's basically saying I'm gonna kill him if he doesn't show up. He doesn't have to show up. Something in the Sharia that says he has to show up for you. So what ends up happening is that the months, the, the days are passing, and now the new moon has been uh, is, is is showing up, and they're now awaiting for Nizamuddin. Is he going to show up or not? Well, before that happens, there's a coup attempt, and Alauddin Khilji is killed. The night that night, there was a coup. And Alauddin Khilji was killed. Okay. So when people saw that, everyone backs off Nizamuddin Awliya. That was the height in terms of, like, let's say the career of a scholar is what? Isn't the career of a scholar like a great book? Right? The career of a general is a great victory. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also elevates a salih and a wali. That people know that this is whom Allah approves of, right? By a karama. And in the same way that people in the past, such as Juraj, and the baby spoke, that was the height. That was his height. This was Nizamuddin al Awliya, the height of Nizamuddin Awliya's power and, and, and authority and the height of his karama. This is what happened. Now many years pass, and he is considered the undisputed Sheikh Shiyukh. Undisputed. Okay. Sheikh Shiyukh. No one had a karama like this. So the only way that people that felt that uh, now the, the envy is now with the scholars, and the only way that they felt that they could get anything is by showing that he's actually not on the religion properly. And the number of fuqaha led by a scholar also by the name of by the name of Qadi Jalaluddin this is not Jalaluddin Khilji was a previous sultan who loved Nizamuddin Awliya now we have another character his name is Qadi Jalaluddin of course the subcontinent it's going to be Qazi Jalaluddin Qazi Jalaluddin as well as others Qazi Muhyiddin Kashani Fakhriddin Zarradi if you notice that in the East, they love the big names associated to the deen. Jalaluddin, Fakhriddin. In the West, Maghrib al-Arabi, they love the big names that is a slave of Allah, like Abdul Kabir, Abdul Qadir, right? Abdul Azim. They love those. The, the Ta'zim of the Western, in the tradition of the West, is to, to aggrandize someone by the name of, uh, of, of Allah, one of Allah's names. And in the East, it's to aggrandize someone by service of the deen. So, Nizamuddin, Fakhruddin, Jalaluddin, Tajuddin, things like that. So, what did they do? They said, they spread about him. The Hanafi scholars at that time, they got together, they said he's not following the Sharia properly. Right? He's not following the Sharia properly. How is he not following the Sharia properly? He has something called Sama'ah. And what is a sama'ah? Sama'ah is the idea that people get together, they recite some Qur'an, 
and then they sing some qasaid. And they said, this is all haram. Wabid'ah. And as you see here, the, this, the idea that people, every once in a while, they, they disagree with that, it's absolutely fine, right? There is no issue and a problem with someone saying that, no, we don't agree with this. We, we don't want to do this. It's actually not a problem at all, if you ask me. But they went after him in a nasty way, and that's the difference. It's one thing to have a different method, but it's another thing altogether. Right, you could put that picture up, by the way, if you want, so people could see, at least with the topic, Nizamuddin Awliya. Okay. So here they go to court, and they take him to court. They basically sue him in front of the king. They say, oh, king, we want you, okay, to make a law disallowing, disallowing all this singing, having these like concerts, so-called, and Nizamuddin Awliya is forced to give a, a response. And this goes on for a while. So, Jalal al-Din and Fakhr al-Din and all these other scholars, they accuse him of not following the Sharia and, and going against the Hanafi school. So he says, with what? He says, Sama'a. He says, define it. Define Sama'a. And they themselves have trouble defining what Sama'a is. So he says to them, how can I answer you if you can't come to an agreement on what the definition of Sama'a is? Because if Sama'a is merely recitation of a poem in a melodical way, there's nothing wrong with that. There can't be anything wrong with that. When the Prophet arrived, they sang Talal Badr Alayna. When the Prophet ﷺ was digging the ditch, the ditch, the trench, they were, he's the one who initiated a work song. Okay? In many, many times, they had, Hassan al-Basri would recite poems. When they would recite, they would recite poetry in the manner of, in the same way that they, when they ride camels, to keep the camel going, they have to recite in a melodious fashion. A repetitive and melodious fashion. So there's no doubt about it that reciting a poem with a melody to it is not a bad thing. It can't be innovation even, right? So they said, so what is it? Is there instruments involved? Is anyone dancing? What's the issue here? All they did was they kept pushing the king to ban this and they kept backbiting against the sheikh and trying to ruin his reputation. It seems to be that they were jealous of his religious authority and they felt he shouldn't have any okay he brought them hadith many a hadith that this happens in the time of the prophet but they said we don't accept these hadith he said why he said no the shafi's accept these hadith so we don't accept these hadith he said wait a second we're we're now at a level that because another madhab will not accept hadith that you're not accepting a hadith because another method? He said, like, where is that in Islam? Like, where is that in Sharia? Yeah, you don't follow it for yourself. All right, you don't teach it. But you're not going to recognize its validity even? And the scholars ganged up on him so badly that Nizamuddin 
would merely cite these ahadith and they would reject it and he started to say, I fear that the hypocrisy of the scholars will bring about destruction of the city. Within six years, the Tughluqs, which is a group, the Tughluqs came in and they raided the city. Okay? They raided the city and everyone was had to leave. And they took over the city and nobody at that point was living in Delhi at that it was in ruins and he was basically it was just he's, they say you could hear the foxes and the jackals right and the functionaries of the state did not allow the inhabitants to continue their livelihood in the city right or to remain there they expelled them all so people were expelled it was basically ruination and Khawaj and uh, Nizamuddin or he attributed this to the hypocrisy of the scholars. He stayed in his Zawiyah, which was just outside of Delhi. Okay? And he lived out the rest of his life in basically very minimal activity. But he was nonetheless always surrounded by his students and his disciples and his family and his followers. And so that's, that's how he ended his life. Now we come, we bring you the end of his life by talking about what was his daily routine like at the end of his life and how did death come upon him, right? First, we take a sip of tea. It's dishwater. What is this? Quality means we never compromise. This is one of the worst teas ever. Bigelow. Yeah. Bigelow is weak. It's weak. Plus the water, I guess I didn't use filtered water. Gotta have something though. This water. Okay, next. The daily routine. He starts, they start with the night. Okay. At nighttime, he would pray Aisha, then he would go upstairs. And he would sit with, with his misbaha, and he would do dhikr. While he's doing dhikr, Amir Khusro, his assistant basically, would come up. And he would say, oh Turk, what's the news of the day? Because I guess Amir Khusro was Turkish. And Khusro, Amir Khusro would talk about all the news of the day. So like you're, you're running Gazawiya, right? Got dozens of teachers, you got, you got all sorts of people, right, in the Zawiya. So he says to him basically, he starts telling him all the news of the day. What's the news outside, the news inside, right? Like, when, when, when this place is up and running, aren't we going to have, like, news briefs? We have to. There's going to be news, right? The water doesn't work here. This student is, a, is you know, new. We got a new set of students. We got teachers. They're, the neighbors have, you know, this issue. It's going to be news. So he gets, takes all the news, and he talks, and he basically, they... They have a management meeting, essentially. That's what it is. It's a management meeting. Administration meeting. While he's making tasbih. And then he allows his children and his relatives to come up. So his family comes up. Now, just like Sidi Muhammad ibn Habib, Hamza al-Bushishi, all these shuyukh, they live in their zawiyah. They have an apartment in their zawiyah. I, rem- I heard, from what I remember, is that Sidi Muhammad ibn Habib's was on the ground floor 
So his zawiyah was on like, it was imagine like, it was, it was pretty big. His apartment was facing the street and the other door would open up to the, the courtyard of the zawiyah. And then there would be other living chambers. There would be a kitchen and then a middle part with no roof. Right? And then they would have a masjid area, a large masjid area for people to go for public prayers, but also for their gatherings. That's what these zawiyahs were like. See, Hamza Bushishi, I heard his, was also a huge zawiyah. It was one big building, and he, his apartment was all the way at the top. And this yuch, their, their zuhud was, was, was demonstrable, because you could see where he lives. Right? Everyone sees his home. And people visit his hometown a lot of times. Okay? I, I heard, or when I was in Dar Mustafa, Habib Omar's was about a mile away. From Dar Mustafa, get get in the back of a pickup truck and go. And I heard that he moved right across the street now. And he, the front part of his home is for the diafa, and then the back part, which is hosting hosting guests, and the back part of his room is for his family. So Khawaja uh, here Nizamuddin, they they say Khawaja is their term of respect. His um, family would come up and his children and they would have a musamara musamara is a sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which is that you sit with your family and your kids at the end of the day right that's when it's a sunnah now after amir khusru was done the kids were done all right they would bring him his servants would bring him some water some jugs of water for wudu okay and then they would he, the door would be locked and he'd be all alone. Nobody comes in or out at, after that. Okay, So he would do his ibadah, his own private ibadah. And I remember somebody telling me that out in, uh, I think it's Agadir. Agadir is, I think it's Agadir. It's in Morocco, East Morocco, where Hamza al-Bushishi, they, huh? South, South Morocco. Yeah. They would see his light on all night. And Sidi Muhammad al-Habib, he would do his, most of his night, at the end of his life, he couldn't stand up for prayers anymore. He would just, he had a massive misbah with thousands on it. And he would just do thicket in the darkness. And he had bells. This is pretty funny, actually. He had two bells. Each bell, he had two wives, was connected to one of the apartments of the rooms of his wives. He would just ring the bell on his bed. And his wife would come, bring some tea, and they would just sit, Right? Sometimes. And he would go deep into the night just in ibadah and dhikr. Sort of like the way we are in Ramadan where the nighttime is alive all the time. Then, uh, after the night passed, then his suhoor would come up. He would fast all the time. It's called siyam dahr and it's permissible to fast any day of the year except for Eid. The days of Eid, we're not allowed to fast. So he would fast a lot. And when he would fast, one of his servants would come up and bring up his suhoor. And oftentimes they would take all the food from the night before, put it in little plates, warm it up, and bring a nice tray of suhoor. And he would sometimes bring family members, one of his, maybe his kids, grandkids, and they would sit and, and he would have suhoor, like a meal, but he would barely take anything. And they would have to really ask him to eat. Okay. 
sometimes the whole suhoor would come back having just taken very little, one or two bites. So his body would function on such little food, amounts of food. Somebody asked in ArcView in the WhatsApp group, is it beneficial to do any kind of like fasts? And the answer is yes. Anytime that you're not eating, there is a benefit for you, physically and spiritually, not just uh, physically. Even if it's not a shara'i fast, so we don't call it a shara'i fast. You could say a non-shara'i fast or a decrease of food, whatever you want to call it. It won't be called, don't call it CM though, because it's not CM. So that's all good. Now after Fajr, he would come down for Fajr, obviously, pray Fajr with the Jama'ah, and they would see that his eyes were red and he had bags under his eyes, but that his face was filled with brightness, filled with nur, and that he was in a cheery mood because of the sweetness of Iman. People don't realize we're mining. We're mining for, for sweetness. And it's like spiritual honey. This path that we're on, the people who are on this path, like dedicated themselves to the deen, if they're on the right aqidah and the right fiqh and the right suluk, they have to end up as extremely happy and serene people. If they end up mean, that means they're following a path that has no sweetness of faith. And they become meaner and meaner people. Okay, And so he, he would, his face would be filled with illumination right, and light. And then the rest of the day would be in the public courtyard. Now, most prayer areas in the Islamic world is divided into two parts. One part, there is, a, there is a, the mihrab all the way at the back. And the other part is a mihrab or a, or a chair usually that's closer to the front. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the one that's closer to the front, that's for when the sheikh wants to receive guests so that they don't have to walk all the way back to the mihrab. So he receive his guests closer to the front. And I saw this with Sayyidina Muhammad al-Alawi al-Maliki in Mecca, that when you go to his house, you pass through an outdoor courtyard, then there's a gate, and then there's a small musalla. And he has a throne in that small musalla. It's like a big chair, right? Like one of these fancy Maharaja-style chairs. And there's big pictures of al-Madina Manawara in Mecca, the green dome and the Kaaba. And there's a little kitchenette on the side. Then there's a door behind that. That door only opens up when there's a lot of people and it opens up to a big prayer hall. But as long as it's a small group and a small prayer hall, okay, they use the shallow end, the shallow end of the, uh, of the musalla. So there's like a shallow end of the musalla and then there's the big musalla. If you go to Turkish mosques, a lot of Turkish mosques, there's a shallow end for small groups like Dhuhr and Asr. But Fajr, Maghrib, Aisha gets bigger. They use the they open the, that door and they spill into the bigger courtyard. So you have to see this is what the these spaces looked like. So in most of the day he would be in the shallow end of the court of, of the musalla receiving guests. And that area is less, there's less treated with less sanctity. So he'd be eating there, drinking tea, chit-chatting, spreading their feet out, things like that. That things you wouldn't necessarily do at the mihrab. Waqas Riyaz is asking about the uh, WhatsApp group. This WhatsApp group is for the ArcView. Go to arcview.org and sign up for one of the two packages 
or the um, uh, plans that we have for students to take pre-recorded classes, and then immediately we'll add you to the WhatsApp group after that. All right, so he would receive guests all the time, penitent sinners, politicians, okay? Maybe not, not the governors. He would refuse to talk to the governors, but look, administrative people in the government would talk to him. And he realized that his occupation, the main occupation that he has was consoling people's hearts and trying to connect their hearts with Allah. You can't always change your society. And there are, there are promises that Allah and threats for the society at large. And there are promises and threats for individuals. For example, for any mu'min, no matter where he is, no matter what economy he's part of, if he remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assiduously, in his aqidah, fiqh, and his ibadah, Allah promises, We will give him a good life. Okay? He will be happy in his life. No matter what. And the other person will receive, whoever goes, turns away from the remembrance of Allah, ma'isatan banka. A miserable life. Bank. Bank. The word bank. Think about it. Bad, nun sakina, kaf. Okay. Banka. Misery. The word itself sounds misery. Right? Sounds miserable. And Hayat, the one who remembers Allah, a beautiful life. So you can have two people. They're in the same economy. Same country, same city, same town, same family. One, he's putting effort for the deen, for ibadah, and for Allah, and he's sincere, and he makes dua, and he makes dhikr, and he does, he recites the Quran, and he helps people, blah, blah, blah. The other goes the opposite route. One, will you'll see on his face misery, one, you'll see on his face happiness. That's this individual promise. So we can talk about collective threats that are coming down on the people, without necessarily being pessimistic, because it doesn't necessarily, it'll come down on everybody, but we will still be happy. Allah Ta'ala will give us a good life. And I remember um, being so negative about Egypt. I'm always negative about Egypt, because all the Arab world, they're living in such misery. Of course, the Khalid are very rich, but they have other issues. But Syria, how do people survive? Morocco, Egypt, Algeria, there's such poverty, such misery. But then you had, I remember it was Sheikh uh, Ahmed Taharayan. Look at his videos. Watch his video. Hey, right? could you link for everybody here one video of Sheikh Ahmed Taharayan? His face, you see his face, this, this sakina in his face. Okay. And he's answering questions at Al-Azhar. Right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's answering... Hey, I wonder if... You, could you play a YouTube video? Okay. Oh, okay. Um, he, he basically... You could see the Sakina in his face. And he, used to, he had a long career as an Azhari scholar. In the evening, he goes down, prays Maghrib in one of the big mosques. They put a camera in front of him. And he answers questions. Until a Salat al-Isha. Right? And he was like, we are living in hayat and tayyibah. Even though 
He's in the same country as many, 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 many people who are living in misery. Okay? SubhanAllah. So he would see all these people and he would console their hearts all day. All day he would console their hearts. And he would chit-chat to them, but he always kept his misbah with him so his heart does not get into heedlessness. Okay. At the end, he was over 80 years of age. Okay. It's over 80 years of age. And he saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a vision. What did the Prophet say to him? He said, I, Nizam, I'm anxiously waiting for you. He knew that his time was up and that he would soon die. Okay. During his illness, he gave out the ijazas to all the murids who are now capable of leading people after him. And this is in the 20th, the Hijjah, 724 after the Hijrah. He, would, he, writ, he wrote documents and had them notarized that okay, certain, uh, certain uh, murids of his are now shiyukh. And especially, they were two. And he told them, there's no order. There's no one better than the other. You are both okay, receiving this ijazah at the exact same time. Okay? You are brothers. Forty days before the Khawaja share returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was completely absorbed. Okay. And an eyewitness account saying that it was Friday, the Khawaja seemed to be immersed in his ibadah. In the prayer, he repeatedly prolonged his prostration. In the same condition, he returned to his residence from the mosque. He was constantly in tears. He occasionally passed on into ecstatic trances, like he would like have be in so much tears and and in khashya um, that he would faint. Okay. Then he would wake up. He said, "Today it is Friday." A friend recalls to his mind the promise made by the friend and gets engrossed in it. Okay. In the same condition, he often asked whether it was time for one of the prayers. So he would be in ibadah and dhikr and dua, and he stopped see, receiving people. The entire time, and he would just ask, when is the next prayer? When is the next prayer? Okay. And that if the prayer time had not come, he would, they would see, like, rushing. He wants the next prayer to come. Once he called for all the disciples and servants present, and he said, he, he gathered all of them, and he said, all of you are witness on the day of judgment that if Iqbal has withheld anything, he shall be responsible for it before Allah. Iqbal replied, I have kept nothing back. Everything has been given away. The accountant. You've given everything away. The man had actually done so and distributed everything to the poor except some grains which had sufficed for the people who stayed there for a few days. My uncle said, informed Khawaja accordingly. He said, oh, but he left some grains for a few days. Nizamuddin then turned to Iqbal and he said, why have you kept back some of that rotten dust? And Khawaja ordered the, that the poor and needy be called and when he gathered the poor and needy, he said, open the warehouse and 
Take it all out and sweep it clean. Not a single piece of food or money was left. This was his sunnah throughout his life. Every Friday morning, everything would be distributed. During the period of his last illness, a few disciples and attendants asked Khawaja, what shall be our lot after you? He said, you shall get enough to keep your body and soul together. According to another report I heard from a certain reliable person, Khawaja was asked, who would be the best with luck? Among, like, who's who's going to have the best life after amongst us after? They meant who would be the Khawaja's chief spiritual successor. He said, whoever's hadh should favor him. Right. In other words, you will choose. Some of the friends in attendance requested my maternal grandfather, Shamsuddin Damrani, to tell the Khawaja that a number of his disciples who have built palatial buildings are desirous to know where the Khawaja would like to have his eternal resting place. He replied that instead of having his grave in one of these houses, he would like to be buried in an open space. And he was laid to rest in an open field, and Sultan Muhammad Tughluq built something around it for those who were visiting. Forty days before he died, he stopped eating. During this period, he hated even the smell of cooked food. Once he was offered a little soup made out of fish, but he said, throw it away. Your honor has not taken anything for the last so many days, they told him. This is harmful for you. But he replied, how could he relish food, he who is anxious to meet the Holy Prophet ﷺ, meaning like literally on the brink of leaving this world. He not only took no food during these 40 days, but he also spoke very little. At last in the forenoon on the 8th of Rabi al-Akhar, 725, he left this world. 18th of Rabi'a al 725. In the funeral prayer of the Khawaja was led by Sheikh al-Islam Ruknuddin, son of the renowned Sheikh Bahauddin, Zakaria of Multan. After the prayer, he observed, Now I know that for four long years I was detained in Delhi to have the honor of leading this funeral prayer. And what he meant was he was trying to leave for a while, but he couldn't. The Khawaja never married and, I, and had no son but his spiritual sons in succession continued to keep alight the lamp of guidance. So I guess when they said family, they meant his like nephews and stuff. All right, folks, let's take, let's move now to comments um, and questions here. In addition to Nizamuddin Awliya, I'd like you to look up Imam Rabbani Ahmed Sirhindi. Yes, we can do that, inshallah. Uh, Marine Green says, I have a friend whose sheikh told her that women should not get their clothes stitched from a male tailor in case the male tailor had thir- dirty thoughts about her figure. What is your opinion? I guess that is a, the, the figure of a woman is private business. So if you're talking about actually tailoring like a dress or something like that, then it would maybe be out of wara or out of it would it would be more comforting for a man not to be the tailor. Uh, that makes total sense, right? It does make total sense. Aslam, what is the proper way to visit the grave? Is to go and give salam to all of the Muslims in that graveyard and to recite uh, whatever you recite of Qur'an and make dua. And in that dua, it is dua for the deceased, it is dua for yourself, because some of these places are blessed. 
the graveyard of the Muslim is like a piece of Jannah. Okay, the Sheikh we're talking about is Nizamuddin Awliya, part three, the twilight years. That's the name of this. Just we, we talked about him in part one, part two, and today we talked about the end of his life and how he lived his life. Qasim says, is it okay if you do not believe the Prophet sees and hears things after his death? Um, what, it, what is required to believe is that the Prophet ﷺ is shown the deeds of his ummah. And he's given the salams of his ummah. Okay. The salam of his ummah. Whenever a Muslim sends salam on the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, he replies back that salam. You must believe that. Are women able to attend masjid on their cycles for classes, not for prayers? If the classes are outside the musalla, then yes. How to make dua with Surah Ali Imran the way Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq did? Very simply. Sayyidina Ja'far al-Sadiq, he used to come up with amazing gems out of the Quran. And he used to say that, look at the last few verses of Ali Imran. In particular, it's 191 to 196 of Surah Ali Imran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these verses. Desi Kabi. I don't even know what I'm reading. Where? Okay. By the way, and no offense to everybody, but we cleared out the mosque from all of so-called subcontinent script, Pharisee script. We cleared the mosque from all this. Because the kids, they don't know how to recite the Qur'an except some of them through that. So I said, no, we need everyone to be reciting, everyone in our, in our school to be reciting from the same Mus'af. So we forced the, the Pakistani kids to learn the Nesq, the Arab, which is, they call it Arab Mus'af. It's not Arab, it's just called Nesq. Here, Rabbana, inna kamantu tukhidin nar fakad akhzaytu ma'al adhani min ma'ansar. رَبَّنَا إِنَّا نَسْمِعْنَا مُنَادِينَ يُنَادِي لِلْإِيمَانِ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِرَبِّكُمْ فَأَمَنَّا Allah has answered them. So Sayyidina Ja'far al-Sadiq, he says, Allah answered after the fifth utterance of Rabbana. And therefore, if you want your dua answered, say Rabbana five times. Sophia, there's no harm in reading any of these scripts, except that in running a school, I wanted all the kids to know this one script and to have one official script for the school. Because what we ended up having is kids like, oh, I can't read today because I don't have my subcontinental mosque, uh, uh, mas- uh, mushaf. Right? So we cleared, we said, okay, we're going to have to make, we're going to have to uh, uh, to um, unify this. Okay? So only nasqa. So, Rabbana five times is what Sayyidina Ja'far al-Sadiq said will lead to ijabat al-da'wah. Okay? Now in Baqarah, yes, but it doesn't have the explicit Statement, فَاسْتَجَابَ لَهُمْ Okay? فَاسْتَجَابَ لَهُمْ And that 
Allah has answered them. And I mentioned this earlier. Whenever you see an ayah of Quran, look at the divine names in the ayah. And the fruits of that ayah will come to you. So what's the fruit of all that? Allah answered them. Any, in any ayah, whenever Allah Ta'ala speaks about something, gives promises or protections or anything, look at the divine names used in that. And repeat those divine names. And that's how, for example, in Hizb al-Bahr, he does it. Okay? Takes out the divine names of Ayat al-Kursi, the divine names in Surah al-Fatiha. And you get the rewards of that, the promise, those promises by calling upon those divine names. And Allah knows best. We have to wake up for tahajjud, for it to be answered. Yes, tahajjud, last third of the night. You should sleep a little bit, then wake up, because your mind will be completely clear, Completely fresh. Next question here. Minna. Is it permissible to spay or neuter a cat? Yes. It is. Which one? Aslam is asking. Study Quran or Quran beheld? Study Quran is filled with heretical ideas in it, by the way. Yes, it's a wonderful book. Blah, blah, blah. There's a tons of effort was put into it, but it was overseen by person people who... That perennialist creed, you can't even call it Islam. It's not Islam. That perennialist doctrine that they believe in, that three or four of the authors and the editor himself, they're part of, and I know him, right? I had good relations with them. But that you have to understand what a perennialist is. That's what they are. They're not interested in salvation according to the way of Allah and His Messenger. They're all into enlightenment through all spiritual paths. So, so that book is filled with that idea. Anytime that it mentions like Islam is the only religion that's valid in the sight of Allah, etc., etc., they don't believe in any of that. Okay. And so, Quran beheld, in contrast, is a translation. I didn't read the book. I don't know if there's commentary in it. But at least you're dealing with a sheikh. Guarantee 110% the aqidah in it is going to be sound. It's just translation. Okay. Turquoise man. Ash'ari and Maturidi, the fundamentals is all the same. The details, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're just different opinions on certain matters, certain questions that came up. Mr. Green, please advise how to control the nafs regarding eating habits because mostly overeating is psychological. Yeah, you eat because you feel an emptiness. And the way that you feel an emptiness is to ask yourself, what is exactly that you want? What do you want in life? What do you want in, 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 from this world? And then you have to focus on that. Eating is not necessarily going to fill the void. But at the end of the day, if you're just eating because I'm just tired, then you leave off one small bite. Okay? One small bite. At least that will discipline yourself as a habit. Every time that you're eating, you leave off. Instead of pouring, like say, Three and a half uh, scoops or pouring a full bowl of cereal, decrease it a little bit so you get in the habit of decreasing your food and not overeating. That's the key. Okay. Next question. What is Key to Paradise about? It's essentially, it's Aqidah book, right? It's, it's, firstly, it's like a draft copy for students where what we, of what we teach in terms of Aqidah. And it's the funda- it has 99 names in it. 
their ex- explanation of the 99 names. It has in it um, proofs of the Prophet, rational proofs for the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has a lot of things in it. And you can get it at safinapress.com. Okay. You can get that book there. And I'm not, I'm not shy in telling you, I made this for the students. It's not like a book to be published for everyone. It's for the students. It is for everyone, but it's not yet the fully uh, uh, you know, polished off. It doesn't matter, but the essence is there. What you need is there for Aqidah. Fundamentals of the Ash'ari Aqidah is there. Okay. And the Tahawiyah is at the end of it reordered. See, here's the thing. The essence of Aqidah is one and the same. But new issues came up. There are always doubters. There are always new issues that came up. And the scholars had to answer this. They had to answer these questions. So that's why these madhahib in Aqidah developed. How do we answer these questions? When people bring up these types of things. And that's why there are madhahib and there's ikhtilafat in Aqidah. Sayyid Muhammad Daniel Hassanain. Miss Marine is my wife. Kindly make dua for all of us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you all a blessed marriage and let you be husband and wife in this dunya and in the next. And may Allah make you both make each other happy in this dunya and in the next. The best dua for your wife or husband. Let me make her happy in this life and the next. Let her make me happy in this life and the next. What else can you want? Because this, you can't be in the next life unless you have taqwa. So it includes taqwa. So one of the shiuch, I think it was Junaid al-Sadiq, was passing by on a ship, and another ship was passing by. And on that ship, they were drinking and dancing, and there were all sorts of ruckus. And they said, look at this. And he said, make dua against him. So he put his hands up. He said, oh Allah, as they are laughing in this life, let them laugh in the next life. So they said, what kind of dua is this? He said, yeah, because if they're laughing in the next life, doesn't it mean that they're going to have to mend their ways in this life and be pious? So, Muslima says, it is said that sins affect people financially. How to reconcile this with the fact that pious people do not commit major sins are still tested with extreme poverty. They're tested with extreme poverty, but, but does it make them miserable? Or are they, they may be in poverty, that doesn't mean they're in misery. And you may be in great wealth, but that doesn't mean you're happy. How many millionaires are miserable people? And how many poor people are living with sakina and with happiness? Right? That's, what, that's what's important for us to know. And how is it, and what's the theory and the idea that poverty is linked to sins and to a life of disobedience? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many places like Surah Nuh, You'll get wealth when you make istighfar. And how many times the Prophet said, you'll be deprived of some rizq that could have been yours because of some sins that you commit. It's all over the Quran that living a life of misguidance away from Allah's path will lead to poverty. Okay? And when it doesn't, it's istidraj. ثُمَّ تَكُونُ عَلَيْهِمْ حَسْرَةً Allah says in the Quran, it will be a, a source of misery for them. Wealth that becomes a source of misery. So if you're misguided and you're gaining wealth, that wealth will be a source of misery for you. Right? In the future, it will be a source of misery. Now and in the future. 
So now, how do we link this? And how, is this just a spiritual understanding? No. We could actually, this could make sense to us. What drives an economy? We know that the most basic equation is supply and demand. Why do people have demand for things? Needs and wants. There's a big difference between the two. How much money is spent because people want something? Not they don't need it, they want it, right? And that's what drives entire companies and entire industries exist because people want something, like the entire entertainment industry. It's because they want it. Uh, the automobile industry, it's like 20% need, the rest is want. If need is the only thing, then we'd all be just driving around in like Toyota Corolla and Hyundai's, right? Because it gets the job done in the cheapest possible way. But no, people have wants. They want Jaguars, Mercedes. Okay. So what Allah is teaching us here is that if your heart is misguided, you will want the wrong things. And this is going to harm your economy. It's going to, it's going to throw your economics out of whack and it will result in poverty. It's because your, heart, your hearts want the wrong things. They don't want the right things. So what basically the assumption here is that Allah Ta'ala has certain constants in the economy. When X amount of dollars, eventually money is spent on a certain field or a certain industry or a certain thing, it's going to throw your economy off, out of whack. They say, well, why isn't there so many details? So many details. Economics differ from every era to era. You can't put details in a sacred book, and a holy book on economics, because the economics of one era is completely different and not even relatable. Like, how much is, what's the, what's the economy surrounded internet-based companies, right? How could you talk about that when the idea of the internet even was a complete foreign idea 200 years ago? So Allah gives us simply the foundations. If your heart is connected to Allah, why is your economics going to be good and your financial state will be good? Because your heart, you're not, your spending follows your heart. You're not spending on what's wrong, on what's bad for you, unknowingly. And economics is extremely complicated, so that you, it's not like spending on this results in this. No, it's not, it's not a one-to-one, right? It's extremely complex. So all Allah gives us is the base. Make your heart connected to the truth and to Allah Ta'ala. Your desires will be clean, cleansed and purified. And your, fi- your spending follows your desires. Now go the opposite route. And your heart is misguided, filled with loves that it shouldn't have. You love the wrong thing, so you spend on the wrong thing. And that's what ruins your economy. So I have no doubt that our economy is going to go into ruins. It's already in ruins. Getting, getting ga- We're Romanians. Wallahi, we're Romanians. We talk about gas prices. We talk about food prices. I see people all the time posting picture of a receipt. Can you believe this? Circling the receipt. I bought like five items at Target, $72, right? Just the other day at the ice cream truck came by, I gave my my daughter $1 for you, $1 for you to get an ice pop. They came back. What do we do with this, Bella? What do we do with this? You can't even buy the wrapper. I said, what? It's $4 a pop. $4 for one? When I was, (laughs) see, the thing is you don't, Think about inflation with these these things. Last time I got something from the ice cream store truck for myself, it was like, must have been like 13 or something. You can get $1. You can get quarters in the couch from under the couch. You get the money from under the couch. From where? You just put the nickel out 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you get in nickels, dimes, and you stack them all up, and the guy counts them, and he gives you whatever you want, right? So four bucks for a little thing? I was like, all right, let them get the experience at least, because that's the last time that's happening. So, so eight bucks for two little girls to lick on uh, uh, sugar water, frozen sugar water. Explain to this to me that we're not in shambles. Yeah, you're going to go with a debit card at the ice cream store. Credit card, forget that, right? Uh, you have an economy to shame. But I'm not worried about saying this. I'll tell you why. It's because that's the collective. And it will affect all of us, but that doesn't mean we're going to be miserable. If you're living your life for Allah and you're doing a lot of remembrance and you're doing ibadah, Allah says in the Quran, we will give him a good life. And whoever turns away from the remembrance of Allah, فَإِنَّ لَهُ مَعِيشَةً ضَنْكَ he has a miserable life. Good economy or bad economy? I'm not worried in terms of my own happiness and misery. And none of you should be either if you're making, you know, mujahada. Uh, Jahid to shahid. Strive. In ibadah, in dhikr, in deen, in dua, in da'wah, in iqamat al-deen. Have no worries about these things. But know it's going to happen. Whatever they, what are they going to do for this coming recession that's coming? Print more money. So what's that going to do down the line? Makes inflation worse, right? So I remember going a long time ago, a trip to Spain in the 90s, and find like a T-shirt is like 800, uh, whatever the Spanish currency was. Like what? They're like, oh yeah, just ignore the zeros. At any time you go into, uh, to buy something, just ignore the last two zeros. That's what inflation did. I'm telling you that is where we're headed, okay? Because you cannot, logically or otherwise, you cannot put two and two together where you're in complete disobedience and you're pushing this and you're now spreading it to kids. Every once in a while it comes on my feed, libs of TikTok. Some ridiculous elementary school teacher saying the most absurd, disgusting things. The latest thing I saw was here in New Jersey, um, what did it say? It said, if your mom and dad are not accepting your new gender, I will accept it and I'll be your new mom. And it's a dude with a beard and eyeliner, makeup, and nails. What kind of freak show is this, right? Oh, where did you go to school? I went to Freak Show Elementary. These, these people, why are they so interested in, in grade school? Why are all these purple hairs and blue hairs are in now teaching kindergarten and grade school when you're 20 and 21? Who's hiring these people? Anyway, that cannot coexist with a nice, happy, stable economy. It cannot coexist. So we're going into the abyss. That doesn't mean we're going to be miserable, though. No, I'm not going to be miserable. So we, the way that we respond to it, the way that we handle it, that we, we, we live with it, our iman will inform that. And Allah's angels and Allah's inspiration will guide us away from misery towards happiness no matter what the situation is financially. Aslam says, do you have any Islamic lectures in Arabic that could help a beginner intermediate? Yes, it's all at arcview.org. You go in there and you can get plenty of grammar classes. If we only did our salawat after prayers, is it a bid? No. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after you establish the salah, establish the remembrance of Allah. 
Muslima says, is the idea that sins are reflected in the face related to the science of physiognomy. I don't know about it's related, but we do know that, yes, the, 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 the maqt and the saqt can appear in someone's face. Likewise, سِمَهُمْ فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّجُودِ Likewise, the nur can be in a person's face from the ibadah that they do. I have a situation, nothing says. I have a situation in which I need advice. Someone I know wants to get married to a guy. She doesn't know to do a sikhara because she heard someone say that you shouldn't do a sikhara if you've made up your mind. But the guy's own dad is going to do a sikhara. What do you advise? I advise you that you're, to tell you that your friends, uh, what your friend said was wrong. If you made up your mind, istikhara is not about, I'm 50-50, oh Allah, help me make up my mind. Istikhara is about, I've already made up my mind, oh Allah, tell me if I made the right decision. By, if, I, if I'm correct, make it easier. If I'm incorrect, if I made the wrong decision, make it difficult. Or put barriers, push me away from it, push them away from me. So you, you're, you should do istikhara with, even every sunnah that you do can be istikhara. Combined. Like Sunnah al-Fajr, istikhara. Sunnah al-Maghrib, istikhara. Combined. Plan C, what's the best place to learn aqidah from? Where are you? Why don't you come to MBIC, Plan C? We have a class tonight at 7.30. We have a class in reading Habib Omar's book on suluk at 7.30, one hour before Salat al-Maghrib. So Plan C, come to, go to nbic.org and we'll see you there. Say Muhammad Daniel in Colombia. We have a saying, some people are so rich that they only have money. That's actually true. Should I be concerned about earwax and dirt preventing the validity of ghusl? No, because ghusl is not about the inside of the ear. It's the outside. Plan C. Is there a dua to get rid of laziness? Not, it's not about dua. It's what's your motivation? The lazy has not envisioned a goal. That's the problem. Okay? That's the problem. The lazy person, he, 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 he never envisioned a goal. And what you need to do is envision for yourself a goal. Like what, what makes you happy? It's a very simple question. What makes you happy in life? You have to be able to answer that. Like what turns you on makes you, not in that way, but I mean like what makes you excited in life? You have to be able to answer that question. Let's look at some questions in Facebook. Waqas. How do Ahl Sunnah define bid'ah? Two ways. One, that which contradicts the Sunnah and has no basis in the deen. That's a Shafi'iyah. Follow that. And the later Madikiyah and the later Ahnaf follow that. And the other one was the early Madikiyah, early Ahnaf, and the Hanabila. Follow it, which is literally everything new is an innovation. And that one is very hard to reconcile with the way we actually live our Islamic lives because tarawih, for example, the idea of reciting the entire Qur'an from Baqarah to Nas never existed. The idea of praying multiple Jum'ahs in one mosque, having multiple Jum'ahs in one city, all of these are bid'ah, but they're necessary. Malik Ali, I'm getting married this July. May Allah Ta'ala give you success and a happy marriage. What happens to my charge in here? All right. Um, 
Abu Khadija got banned because he called gay people beasts. It's part of the Salafi ideology to always make personal attack. Okay. Waqas, you can ask questions here on YouTube or on Instagram. Facebook, YouTube, Insta. Shaykh, may Allah bless you and your team. Thank you and you too. And may Allah Ta'ala continue this live stream and make it a consistent part of our routine and our, our da'wah work. Hajra Mahmud says, Is it arrogance or overconfidence when my, to say, when, when, my, when my dua is accepted, or when we say, Allah will hear my dua, Allah will forgive my sins? We're not going to tell Allah what He's going to do, but we're going to say we have great confidence and belief that He will, and that belief is informed by the prophets telling us, believe this, okay? believe this. Allah says, the Prophet said, believe that your dua will be answered. Such an important part of our, our iman is that hadith. Constant istighfar, is it true that, yes, constant istighfar is, uh, is a source of ijabah to da'wah and increase in rizq. Can we do salat al-hajj with sunnah prayers? Yes, you can. You can combine them with your sunnah prayers. Jafar said, uh, please make dua that people in South Africa get their Hajj visas. Not a single person got their Hajj visa. The, 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 the clown show continues. They only have 7,000 applicants. They only have 7,000 applicants. Can men wear jewelry other than a ring? No. Nope. Diana Saadi says, if you buy gold and silver coins... How do you figure the amount for jizya? Do you mean zakah? Because there's no jizya in the world today. I think she means zakah. Very simple. If you have gold and silver coins, you, you get all your gold coins, one out of 40 is zakah. Get all your silver coins, one out of 40 is zakah. If you meet the nisab. The nisab is the bare minimum. Prince Matthew, can you send salam to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? And with that, can I ask? We send salah and salam on the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and you can make send salah and salam to any Prophet, okay. yourself directly. Someone here, uh, Prince Matthew, is asking, what did? What was the tasawwuf of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal? Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal followed the hadith. He was a muhaddith. Yes, he sat with the circles. He did attend and he observed the circles of... Um, his name is skipping my mind right now. Um, Al-Muhasibi. Al-Harith Al-Muhasibi. But he said to his son, our way, he said, these are uh, excellent people, but our way is to just read hadith and fiqh and follow that. And he was a zahid. His, his path to Allah was taqwa, following hadith and fiqh. And he didn't do what someone like a shafi, essentially his usul permitted, which was going into zuhud, in the sense of um, long majalis al-dhikr and qasaid. And 
those those type of majalis, he didn't do those majalis. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal did not do those majalis. His majalis were reading hadith. Muslima says, how do we reconcile the fact that sins appear on the face? Yes, we and we shouldn't, but we shouldn't judge. You're not judging the khilqa, the creation of his face. You're judging the darkness that's on his face. Can a lay person learn ilm al-firasa? Their ilm al-firasa is this, this concept of um, seeing traces. Is the, the, the fundamental idea of ilm al-firasa is that everything leaves a trace. Everything leaves a trace. And it's learning what is the trace of what. Okay. So for example, if someone comes in and he has a British accent, the way you speak indicates where you're from. Common sense, right? So that's the idea there. Everything leaves a trace. But they get into very great details. Anyone can learn this. Shafi tried to learn it, and he did. He succeeded. The idea of reading from Baqarah and Nas is a bid'ah in Tarawih. They never did it in Tarawih. They did it maybe outside of Tarawih, but they never did it in Tarawih. All right, Reed says, is it permissible to sell dream catchers? What is a dream catcher? What, what's a dream catcher? Dream catcher is like these little like, circles that you can put together. It's like a, like a string that goes together and like you put it in everybody's wish list. Reed, if you have one, throw it in the garbage. It's nonsense. Do dhikr instead. Can a Muslim country have an alliance with a non-Muslim country? on one condition, that that, uh, that non-Muslim country is not harming another Muslim country. Um, okay, Sayyid Muhammad Daniel, I'm offering to translate Islamic content from English to Spanish. Okay, good, because we need our, we need translation. Could you give your information to info at safinasociety.org to Ryan so we can, um, so we can talk? Someone gets really anxious to the point that they cannot speak. I would seek counseling therapy from a secular sense and I would do Salah on the Messenger from a spiritual sense. Which surah to recite for financial problems? Waqia, every day. Who do you recommend, says Rashid al-Kabir, in New York City? I don't have a car to go to MBIC. Who is in New York City? Who do we have in New York City? Uh, Mecca Center. No, is it called that? The Mecca Center? The Mecca Center. Yeah, m.e.c. Mecca Center. It's like a convert center, and they have good classes there. You don't have to be a convert to go. How many salawats should we do on a Friday night? Well, the word from Abdullah bin Mas'ud was 1,000 on a Friday in general, every day. Why is Prophet Lut's name... A frequent name used for children. Yeah, yeah, it's not frequently used for children. It's because uh, people associate the name with their people. We, we should revive it, by the way. We should revive the name Lut. I never met Sheikh Mahmoud Effendi, who re- recently passed away. I never met him now. What's all the ruckus downstairs? Uh, Sadiq says, During my time at, university, at the University of Chicago, I wrote a paper on the early... Hanbali Tasawuf and Dr. Tahira Qutbuddin. I can send it to you. 
Yes, why not? Deen and Nur. Is there an authentic hadith that says men may wear rings only on the little ring finger? It doesn't say which finger. But you should not put it on the index finger because that's something that is known to be for women and shawaz. Muslim, when secular people say if you think positively good things would happen, they're only repeating an observation. It's an observed reality. So there's doesn't matter what deen you are, observable knowledge, we accept it from anybody. And it's an observation. It's hard to prove it because it's hard to prove what people are thinking, but it is an observation. Okay. But we have the Prophet always talking about optimism and I prefer that route because uh, he, our own observations are speculative but the word of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is absolute and the Prophet وسلم, said Hadith Qudsi أنا إن دظن عبدي بي إن دظن خيرا فلا وإن دظن شرا فلا okay. Prophet وسلم, said I'm in the opinion of my slave if he thinks good you'll find good if he thinks evil he'll find evil and what it means is in the answering of dua, in the expectation of goodness, things like that. Okay. In Allah's forgiveness, etc. Let's take a breather here and remind everyone, patreon.com backslash Safina Society. Patreon.com backslash Safina Society is where you want to be at to be part of this. And you're helping us. The people who are at patreon.com backslash Safina Society they're helping us every single day, okay, put this live stream together, okay, patreon.com backslash, if you, if you want to see this go on, and you're going to get the thawab for it, you're going to get a percentage of the, a cut of the thawab for this live stream if you're part of it, okay, if you can be part of patreon.com backslash Safina Saidi. Do I know any scholars who knows Ilm al-Firasa? Yeah, I know some people who, who, are good at firasa, but it's not like it's a course that you can take. It's just something they picked up over time. Okay. Um, Eminem says, if earwax is on the outside of my ear, then does it affect my ghusl? If it's on the outside of the ear, your ghusl would wash it off. What's the mo- Sophia says, what's the most effective way to give da'wah to someone who claims to be a Salafi? It's to give him the aqid of Imam al Nawi and Ibn Hajar al Asqalani. And they will say, oh, I got the aqidah of the Salaf before that. We say, okay, the Salaf didn't face the problems that you faced that, that came up later. The Sahaba and the Tabi'een, they, they gave the aqidah at that time. They didn't have the questions that came up later. Okay, the Nawazil in this subject matter, Nawazil are the issues that come up. So those issues came up later, so it's irrelevant. Do you go get fatawa uh, on on modern issues from Abu Hanifa and Malik? No. You have to give them, get them from those who, who, who face those problems. And that's why all these questions of the philosopher and all the philosophers and all those, we see that Ghazali answered them, Nawawi, Ibn Hajar, and then a Suyuti. They all basically gave us the summary of Ahl Sunnah. So that's the aqidah. Which morning and evening of God would you recommend for a beginner? Says Cap Milsum. 
I recommend the ones at safinasociety.org backslash W-I-R-D. It's up before I even said it. GG. All right. Uh, Gucciani Gucci says, a military alliance going to war with a third party between a Muslim country and a non-Muslim country. Yes, provided that second Muslim, non-Muslim country is not harming another Muslim country. Hajra Mahmoud, what's the best way to catch the hour of ijabah? When that hour comes, it's going to be a gap of time. As, the, as much time of that gap that you can be making dua in, you will catch that hour of ijabah eventually. What's the difference between ishraq and duha? Nothing, same thing. Except that the word ishraq is used for when you catch duha, having stayed up from fajr. That's called ishraq. If you sleep and you pray later, it's called duha. But it's the same thing. If you pray ishraq, you don't have to pray duha. Uh, Omar says, sorry, I'm a bit ignorant, but what does Patreon do? It's how the listeners of this pod stream can support and be part of the stream financially by basically making a commitment. $5 a month, $10 a month, $1,000 a month. Muslima says, is it permissible to let little girls watch cartoons with magical powers? If it's going to affect them, then no. If they're going to start thinking about that, then no. Uh, can you give us tips to make tahajjud more often? Make a lot of ibadah and istighfar in the daytime. Okay. Make uh, And make the intention before you sleep. And and recite the three quds three times before you sleep. Okay, we have I, Hussein 31 makes a beautiful du'a for the group. So thank you very much for that du'a. Abby K says, am I blameworthy for the ability to control the internet? and not turn off internet for elder family members who enjoy watching Hindu shows about their gods. You're not responsible for the elders of your family's actions. You can't tell them what not to do. Your grandma wants us to watch TV. You're not responsible for how she watches TV. You can't go, you can advise her maybe. You could pretend, oh, the power's out. Grandma? Yeah, all the lights are on, but the TV doesn't work. I've heard, Caitlin Jam says, I've heard some shiuch say that we only ask Allah what is best and don't be specific. You can be specific, but you could also say, if it's good for me. What's the ruling on dancing and raqs for the men? And for the women, only with women. But for the men, if they do a dance that is not moving the hips, so that it's just moving the waist and the legs, right? But if you're starting to move your hips, they call that kesr, and that's not acceptable for men, okay? Sarah, Sarah Suleyh, he says, how do I have presence in prayer? My mind is wandering. I'm afraid my prayer would not be accepted. Make a lot of remembrance, say la ilaha illallah all the time outside the prayer. And that's the purpose of these beads. Sub, he says, is it true that Baqalani affirmed Allah is above his arsh? I heard Salafi say this. And they also said Al-Juaini deviated. Don't listen to any of them, what they have to say. Um, but what you should listen to is go to Muhammad Omar Mustafa's YouTube channel. Type in Ash'ari's Istiwa. And Ryan, if you can get the that video, that would be amazing. Muhammad Omar Mustafa's YouTube page. What do Ash'ari say about Istiwa? And that's what you should believe.
But because that's that video is what's correct. Okay. Is it true that there's a city in Ethiopia where hyenas are friendly to the people because scholars in the area made an alliance with them? I would that stuff is hard to believe, to be honest with you. Self-discipline. What is self-discipline? Self-discipline is giving yourself an order and following it. That's it. So start with something very small and very simple. Give yourself the order and follow it. That's it. If we have a lot of qada, says Cap, should we completely neglect nawafir such as tahajjud? Yes. But do your your qada in tahajjud. And that's your tahajjud. So if you did like one days of qada prayers as you're in the tahajjud time, that's your tahajjud. Okay. Noah is here and he's Ethiopian and he's never heard of this alliance with the hyenas. Who's going to see a hyena in his life in the first place? Unless you're way out in the country, deep in the desert and the savannah, and you're walking and see these wild animals. He says that the ulama made a spiritual alliance with the hyenas. What's your traveling mind says, what's your opinion on forms of recreation and entertainment? Everyone needs to unwind a little bit, but make sure it's halal. Maham says she's sick. May Allah give Maham a speedy shifa. And with that, we will close up uh, with the dua for them all. Uh, Maham and everyone else who was sick, may Allah ta'ala give them a shifa. And the dua for sickness from the Messenger وسلم, says is to repeat the following seven times. Nas'alullah al-Azim Rabbil Arshadim and Yashfiha. 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 Wa sallallahu wa barakala Sayyidina Muhammad. وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين